Cortez to throw. Down the left side to fade. LaVisca's in the end zone. Over the shoulder. Catch is made by LaVisca Chenault. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. How do you cover that man? Well, second down at 8 for the 16. Coletta, play action. Hit by Terrence Slang, and he's sacked inside the 10 at the 9-yard line. Terrence Slang, there's no better-looking football player. Takes a snap, dropping the throne. He's got time. Downfield, KD Nixon, backpedaling, one-handed crab outside the 20 in the 15-yard line. Oh, what a catch by KD Nixon. Between the hashes, moving left to right, loopily, shotgun snap. Gives the inside handoff, and that thing is blowing up that time. Oh, what a play by Landman. I mean, as soon as it was handoff, Landman was right there, and you can hear the pads popping all the way up here in the broadcast booth. Holy cow, what a play. Montez fake handoff, turns the corner, and there he goes. 2015-10-5, touchdown, Steven Montez. Holy cow, he had the fake, and he rolled out to his left, and he was so alone, it looked like he was late for school as he went trucking in. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here today with football analyst William Gardner. William, we are recording this at Flyco Brewing. It's located in the Berkeley neighborhood of Denver. This is an awesome spot. Yeah, it's a very cool place. they got a great beer, got a Hefeweizen that's really super. Well, cheers. Yeah, good to see you. This establishment's been open for about five months now. Two of the three owners are CU grads. They're going to be uh, serving beer up at the new CU Aerospace Engineering Building. They're part of some festivals. What was the, the festival? that? There was the one in a couple weeks at the Wings Over the Rockies. So the motif here is flight airplanes and such and so that seems like a natural fit and then the one they're going to do up at cu is at the new aerospace engineering awesome so if you live in this area we, we love blake street tavern and we love Flyco boot brewing as well so definitely make your way down here let's dive right in william what's the best and worst case scenario for the buffaloes heading into preseason camp in the 2019 season well, I think the best-case scenario is that Steven Montez takes his game to the next level and the staff comes together very well. Um, the O-line comes together quite well. And uh, I, I could see as many as eight wins or even more if all that works out really well. Uh, Worst-case scenario, the coordinators are in over their heads. Montez doesn't get any better. A few key injuries could really sink this team. And uh, then it's five wins again. I, I don't really see, I really don't see a scenario where we're less than five wins, just given the talent that's on this team. Um, but there are certainly question marks. So that that's my, I, I think I really think the the best case scenario. It's hard to put an upper limit on it. I think the worst case scenario to me is five wins. As always, Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by the Everpillow, which is sold at InfiniteMoon.com. They help employ former felons, addicts, and homeless. A great pillow with a great purpose. The Everpillow was listed as one of the 13 best household products by the Washington Post in 2018. Fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural fill to get the pillow exactly how you want. No chemicals, memory foams, or cheap polyfoams. All natural and ridiculously comfortable. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% by using GoBuffs in the cart. Always free delivery and a 100-day risk-free trial. Everpillow by Infinite Moon. Made by us in Colorado and perfected by you. 
Aside from the number of wins and losses, what are the main factors that will lead to you believing that Mel Tucker was indeed the right hire for the Buffaloes? Well, I think it's a lot of things that we've already seen. And the very first thing I think is professionalism. There's a different level of professionalism with this staff. And the one thing that really stands out to me is accountability of the staff. And everybody on this staff is going to be required to recruit, and everybody on this staff is going to be required to produce at their position. Mel Tucker reminds me in many ways so much of Bill McCartney. And I was there. I got to see you in Bill McCartney's second year, and he was the defensive coordinator at Michigan, which was a major power at the time, just like Mel Tucker coming as the defensive coordinator from Georgia. And so both of them had come from a background where they were with really top-level coaches, learned how to do this at the highest level. So the things I'm looking for, I think, are, as I said first, assistant coach accountability. The recruiting has totally changed already, both in terms of the kind of people that they're offering and the fact that it truly is nationwide, almost ridiculously nationwide. And then I'm going to want to see... A competitive, hard-nosed, physical team, and I want to see a technically sound team. I don't want to see a bunch of dumb penalties. I don't want to see a lack of discipline out on the field. And then, in more intangible things, I want to see a head. Or I want to see a coaching staff that works well on the field. So no fighting on the sidelines and no moping, open, ob- obvious moping from the head coach. Are there any storylines that myself and other folks in the media are not focusing on enough or ignoring with this football team? Well, I don't know. I think everything's being covered fairly fairly obvious. You know, the most obvious things on this team are LaVisca Chenault as a Heisman candidate, um, Nate Landman as a potential All-American candidate, and then uh, the new coach, the new coaching staff. I can't think of anything that's obvious to me that's not being covered fairly well at this point that is a legitimate issue. Uh, I think all the questions for this team that really need to be covered are not going to be known until we start playing football games and seeing how this team responds to this coaching staff. I guess the one thing that I would like to have a lot more information about is I'd like to know what's going on in that weight room because something is clearly different and they're getting bigger and they're working a lot harder and and I don't know if this is even information that, that we can get access to or that anybody be open about but wait, is there a change from this head coach to the last head coach with regards to what uh, Drew Wilson is allowed to do or told to do or, or expected to do so that that'd be one area I think but aside from that I, I can't think of anything that's not being pretty well look, addressed and looked at. I'm picking this football team to go to a bowl game, to be 6-6. Six and six. I don't know if I would predict that if it was not for the three graduate transfers coming in, safety Mikhail Unu from SMU, Arlington Hambright from Oklahoma State, and Jalen Harris from Auburn. Which of those three guys do you expect to have the biggest season for the Buffs in 2019? Well, I guess it depends on how you define biggest season. So, you know, the, Biggest impact yeah. towards Colorado having success? So, I mean, does Jalen Harris have to have 40 catches to really make an impact at the tight end? You know, so the tight end situation has been such an underutilized position over over the last six years. And so if he has any kind of impact in, in the reception category, then I think that's going to be a huge impact. I think looking at those three guys, the, obviously Hambright and Onu, I think, come into positions where we desperately needed to have somebody. Yeah. Okay, so Hambright to me is the one that I look at as the most obvious NFL prospect, 
at this point. So you take a guy like that who has played in a high-level program um, and and played in a tough league where in, in a program where they play pretty hard-nosed football. I think that uh, he is the guy. It, he can make an impact in two different ways. If he locks down that left tackle like I expect him to, first of all, that's a huge thing in and of itself because if you got a great left tackle, you're going to have a very a much more better chance to have a productive offense. But it also lets us move uh, William Sherman over to lock down the right tackle. And if all of a sudden our two tackles are both all conference caliber, man, that's a big difference in this football team. And, and, and I don't think people can even grasp how much it means because if you don't have if you don't have those outside linebackers shooting up and press, pressing that pocket right off the bat then your quarterback can do a lot of things. So I, I think Hambright is probably the one that's going to have the biggest season. Onu steps into a safety situation, which needed some depth. But there's some guys there who can also play. Uh, what he brings to the table is a lot of playing experience. Um, so I think he, I would rank him probably second in terms of impact on this team. And then Jalen Harris, it really remains to be seen to me how well we use the tight end and uh, that's both a play calling thing but it's also a Steven Montez thing because he has not been taught to look at the tight end for four years and will he be able to pick that up right off the bat so I would rank him in that order uh, now, and, and Brady Russell is a very capable tight end that right. I don't think unless you pay close attention you understand how versatile and good he is and so those guys are both going to play a lot. Right, exa- exactly. And, and they both can fill different roles in the in the offense. They're both good blockers. And um, I think it remains to be seen how much Jalen Harris impacts the offense. But I think the other two are – well, I think Hambright is absolutely critical to the success of this team. So I'm picking him. And one thing to throw in there, and, and I agree with you, uh, take a shocking development for – Hambright and Will Sherman not to be your starting tackles. I have heard good things about what Frank Phillip has right. been able to do this summer. Obviously, it hurt him a little bit when he thought he was going to maybe transfer early in, in the winter and wasn't participating, but he's trying to make up for that lost time now. Well, Frank Phillip is one of those situations where if he wins that one of those starting tackle spots, that's a huge positive for this team because then you take probably what you do is you take Will Sherman, move him into his more natural guard position, and make him that other starting guard. So ultimately, as an offensive line coach, what you want is your best five guys. And that's not always the five guys that are going to the NFL, but the five guys that play best together. So if it turns out that that Frank Phillip makes the chemistry better at right tackle, then you bring William Sherman inside and you have him and uh, Purcell probably and Lineot in there. So uh, if if Phillip continues to, to develop, that gives Coach Cap some options in there. Speaking of position battles, I recently did a story on the site with kind of highlighting the top ten position battles that I'm looking at going into camp, and I put odds on these position battles. I'm going to enjoy looking back on this in a, in a month from now to see where I was right, where I was wrong. What position battles are you anxious to follow during camp, and, and do your predictions differ at all from, from some of the odds that I had in that story? Well, I think, uh, you know, I'm always going to be watching those lines, and I think one of the one of the big storylines for this team is going to be that defensive line and those new guys coming in. So we need some guys to step up and challenge Jalen Sammy at nose. We need some guys who can step up and challenge Terrence Lang at, at defensive end not only to make them better, but also to have depth 
Um, so that's that's one of the areas I think I'm really going to be watching a lot. In terms of like the the positions you picked, I was pretty much in agreement with you, and, and I kind of went through those. So, so like I also expect Jaron Mangum to be the guy at running back. I mean, I, I really think everybody keeps talking about it's going to be by committee this year. I don't know. Not so fast. I think that's a guy. He's the real deal. I mean, he is what you recruit a big-time running back to be, at least so far as what we saw in spring. So I think he could be that guy. I agree with you that, that I, I like Darian Rakestraw, at least early in the season, opposite Onu at that safety spot, because I think he showed us some things last year in flashes, and now that he's got a year under his belt and some more practice time, I think he's going to be somebody that really steps out. Um, so not a lot of changes. I, I, I really believe that... Um, Casey Roddick is going to be that other guard. I really have no doubt in my mind about that, but we'll see. It's hard to tell sometimes who's made the most progress over the course of summer and who hasn't. Yeah, he was listed second. Now that could have been Coach Cap trying to keep him motivated because this is a guy that's been having to lose weight since he got on campus and continue to try to keep that fire in his belly. But, you know, coming out of spring ball, in terms of on the field, he was number one. At at least – you know, they were shifting those guys around a lot, so clearly he was looking to see who his best group was. But, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but it seemed to me that Roddick was the guy who was finished up with the number ones um, at the end of spring ball and in the spring game. And certainly he's got that one thing that they're lock- that they're talking a lot about, which is size and athleticism. And if there's not much separating him from the other guys there, Kerry Cush and a Jack Shutak, you'd rather go with the, the young guy, a redshirt freshman, because he's going to be around for four right. years. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's always been my approach. If you got two guys that are equal, you're going to take the younger guy because he's got more upside. Uh, not only is he going to be there, but he's also got more ability to develop. You know, as a redshirt freshman, you're not touching, you're not even scratching your ability yet. And if you can play as well as the fourth or fifth year guy, I'm playing the young guy. So that would be, I think, a really good development. Uh, if he really owns that spot. And Mel- then, I'm sorry to cut you off. What were you saying? No, I was just going to go looking at some of the other spots. I think um, uh, you were talking about inside linebacker spot, and I'm going to get in trouble with our sponsor, but I really think Quinn Perry is a guy to watch. I think he and Jonathan. He's been Bandus banged up this summer, which has bit. set him behind. Okay. Yeah. And then you, always, you never you never quite know how somebody's going to adjust to the speed at this level coming from the JUCO, but I think he's a guy to watch. But you, know, you, you gave the favorite spot to Jonathan Van Deest, and I think that's certainly a safe pick, too. Yeah, Quinn Perry is not expected to be up very long, though, so we'll see. I am anxious to see him with his rugby right. background, and now for the first time really focusing on football, he's made a big jump in a quick period of time. Well, in watching his film, it really reminded me a lot of Landman, and it's hard for me to explain it on radio. I could show you on film, but there's just the way that, that he kind of makes a read, and then he slashes in and kind of comes in underneath the level of the pads of the offensive line and takes guys' legs out and what have you, that just reminded me a lot of um, of Nate Lamont last year. Mel Tucker's putting a premium on size in the trenches while we know Mike McIntyre preferred to build up linemen. What are the biggest challenges with recruiting those big bodies that you need to have them lose some weight when getting into college as opposed to the other way around of trying to build guys up? Well, I don't know that there's particularly challenges i think there are more challenges with those smaller guys in order to get them you know if they don't have the metabolism 
it's hard sometimes to tell if a, if a guy has a metabolism to put on that kind of weight that you're going to talk about if he's going to be 250, 260. Whereas what you have to do with those big guys is you have to do a really good evaluation and analysis, and you can't just bring in a fat guy just because he's big, okay? You have to bring in athletes because size alone means nothing. So you got to bring in guys that can move, and ideally you're bringing in big guys who move as well as the 250-pound guys, okay? So first and foremost is that athleticism, that ability to move and bend their knees and, and, and play at a low level. And then the thing you really got to check out and look at very carefully with the bigger guys is work ethic. So you take a Javier Edwards who came in at close to 400 pounds, but man, the guy had a work ethic that didn't quit, right? And he took off 60, 70 pounds and really turned himself into a player. And that's what you have to find in these big guys. You can't, you can't just get big, lazy kids who won't put in the work because they can get away with being 400 pounds in high school and just overwhelming everybody. They can't do that here. So I think those are the two things, athleticism and then um, the discipline and the work ethic. Uh, and to some extent that's true for any lineman at any size because really the thing that makes a difference at this level is how hard you work for offensive linemen. You're, you're never going to be among the best athletes on the team, so you have to outwork them. You were part of the four-person panel that voted on our 2019 Top Buffs Countdown. Did, did you have some takeaways from voting on that? And uh, who did you feel was most underrated, overrated based on, on your picks? Well, what really stood out to me, I think, this year was how many guys we had that are young guys who haven't really proved it in games. And so it was a lot more based on potential. Uh, and I think we have a lot more talent this year but it's not proven talent. So there were guys in the top 10 last year who didn't end up being that great or weren't superior athletes, but they had played a lot, and they got ranked because of how much they had done previously. What stands out to me from the top 40 this year is there's a lot of young guys who look really good. And if they li- if, if, if half of them live up to that uh, potential, it's going to be a very exciting team moving forward this year and, and yeah. years after. And Dimitri Stanley was one of those main young guys. I think he was number 12 on the list, if yeah, memory serves. Right. And some people that weren't paying close attention this spring might kind of be surprised by that. But he is going to be a household name around Boulder uh, by the end of this upcoming season. And I was looking, and I, I brought with me I brought with, with me our rankings, and I was looking at it, and we're way more athletic. I mean, we got guys that can do crazy stuff all up and down that top 40, whereas, you know, we had a few last year that really stood out that were – um, really super in the testing and what have you, but man, we got guys that can run. We got guys that can jump. We got, you know, Casey Roddick is huge, but that guy can move. It, it's it's almost crazy. And so, looking at the uh, top forty this year, um, I don't know how we're going to do this year, but man, we're going to look real good in the next couple of years. Let's dive right into the Buff Stampede mailbag. The first question comes from Sand Buff, who asked. On your top buffs countdown, it looks like the top three will be juniors. Mustafa Johnson, Nate Landman, and LaVisca Chanel. Do you think all three will leave early for the NFL? How does this year's top ten compare to last year's? LaVisca Chanel, we know, is going to the NFL after this year. He's gone. Barring something really bad happening, and knock on wood that that doesn't happen. Nate Landman, potentially. Maybe. Mustafa Johnson's probably the least likely out of those three because of his size. Right. Mustafa Johnson is, he, he would have to have well, he'd have to have a first team All-American kind of season, I think, at his size. Um, you know, people on the board are making comparisons to Aaron Donald 
and um, it, it's it's there's there's some legitimacy to that comparison, but man, that's the best defensive lineman in the NFL. Okay, so he is a guy who at that same size does amazing things. With Mustafa, we've seen it for one season. So one thing he's got to show the NFL is that he can do it re- repeatedly season after season without getting injured. One of the things they're going to worry about at his size is can he take uh, going up against those 320-pound centers and guards on a regular basis without getting hurt. He's going to have to show that he can do it repeatedly game after game. He's So last year he got to sneak up on people a little bit. All right, so can he do it this year when everybody's gunning for him and they're going to game plan around him? So he has the most to prove. He has the most to overcome just in terms of uh, his size. The NFL likes numbers. The NFL likes their numbers. They want you to test in a certain way and be a certain height and all that kind of stuff. So to go outside of that uh, that kind of uh, exact those those parameters is going to take a super season. Nate Lamon is much closer to the prototype size they like in inside linebackers in the NFL. But he also is going to have to prove it again um, that what last year wasn't a fluke. So uh, he's a guy that could go, but I, I think he would have to, again, have a really fantastic season in order to go early into the draft. And LaVisca, he's already said he's going, so that's a kind of a no-brainer. He was asking about how this year's Top Buffs countdown and the top ten compares to last year. It has a lot more clarity at the top. Last year's list was Evan Worthington 1, Jawan Winfrey 2. Nothing against those guys, and Ever Worthington had a couple concussions that made him have a slow start to the season, and we know injuries were Winfrey's downfall at CU. But this year, your number one is one of the top Bolidnikov Award candidates, right. and you can go right now and bet on LaVisca Chenault to win the Heisman Trophy. Right. Not great odds. I think it's like 250 to 1, but he's on there. Right. And, you know, you look at you look at Nate Lamon, and he's a legitimate all-American candidate. I don't know if he'll wind up at that level, but he's on the Butkus list. You look at uh, Mustafa uh, Johnson, and he's already preseason first-team All-Pac-12, so these are legit players. Um, I look back at that top 10 compared to last year's top 10, and one thing stands out to me is I look at this top 10 this year, every single one of these guys has a shot at playing at the next level. I'm I'm not by any means guaranteeing that they will, but Every single guy I look at in that top ten, to me, has an opportunity to make it to that next level. So I think that's very different. Last year we had guys like Rick Gamboa, who I love, and a lot of people don't. Fair enough. But he certainly wasn't going to play NFL football. Yeah. So I think, and then you had guys like Kavion Ento, I think, was in the top ten last year and didn't end up playing that much. So I think it's a very different top ten, and from top to bottom is a much better uh, group than last year's. Ryan BR asked, what are your thoughts on the last two scholarships that they have open? Will they use them internally for the year, or will there be any last-minute additions? Maybe from the transfer portal. Thanks. So, yeah, with Brett Tons medically retiring, it appears the Buffs are going to have two open scholarships to award to walk-ons. They're already at the 25 limit for new scholarships, so they can't bring a guy in from the transfer portal. Uh, Tyler and I talked the other day about what walk-ons might potentially get it uh nico magri a defensive lineman had a good spring is is a candidate there maybe davis price he was on scholarship last year if he's your kickoff guy maybe he's on scholarship yeah we'll have to see how that shakes out yeah i think they'd they'd probably find a one-year 
scholarship deal for somebody that's making a big difference on the team. And, and Jack Shutak's a, a possibility. Yeah, right, Jack Shutak. Well, I think that's kind of a no-brainer. I think that's somebody who would certainly, uh, at this point, deserve one if he's going to be if he's going to remain in the top, the, the the two deep in the offensive line and play a lot. Yeah. So. The guy down the road, Dante Sparacco, might be able to play his way, but he's not going to be eligible to play this year. Right. I don't think. I mean, you want to see him stick around a little bit for a while, I think, before you do anything like that. Well, and I, and he was the actual name that was in my head, but I wasn't sure if that's somebody that they would even think of at least for another year. Yeah, because you know he, they kind. I, I don't want to say he was punished for going away and coming back, but you have to re-earn it when you right. come back. Yeah. HR Buff asked, any feedback or early p- reports on Arlington Hambright? Looks like he's been here for weeks or so. Well, I mean, everything I'm hearing is that he's a super hard worker and a pretty good leader. Um, you know, there's been talk that, that he's a little bit... Uh, he, I'm, I want to be careful in, in how I put it, but uh, he comes from a tough program, um, and I think that... Uh, He's providing some leadership to our offensive linemen in terms of how you play offensive line in a tough way because they haven't been asked to do that. So he looks the part, and he's working hard, but with an offensive lineman, it really doesn't matter until you put on pads. Yep, good point. DR10 asked, do you think any of the defensive line recruits that previously were not on campus for spring ball will get significant playing time in the two deep this year, or will they all take a season to acclimate to Pac-12 football? Is there a, is there an option here? I mean, no. don't they have to? I mean, I think at least two of these guys have to play a lot. D line has to rotate, right? And they only have two guys that have played football at right. CU. So, and Jalen Sammy, of course, was on campus. He doesn't qualify here, but right. you you have to have Janaz Jordan and some of these newcomers come in and be ready to go. Well, you know, and so I think people got a little spoiled in 2016 because three guys played all the downs, all almost, you know. There's Jace Frankie, uh, Jace Frankie and a few guys. Jace Frankie got a few yeah. reps in there, but for the most part, those three guys played everything, and that's that's hugely rare. It's not it's right. not what you want to do, and it spoke to the toughness and the ability of those three guys. And we don't have guys this year who are all proven like those three guys, so I think we have to play those guys early early returns based on on just pure size and what we see in the weight room and what have you. Janaz Jordan and Austin Williams are huge and strong um, but again until you get in pads you don't know what they can do and, and until they start facing up against good offensive linemen it, it's really impossible to tell who's ready to play at this level and who's not but man we got some beef and some size coming in and yeah some of those guys have to play 6635 BAM asked are we ever going to hear the name Dylan Thomas again I remember liking his junior film he looked explosive and have not heard from him again at this point is it the expectation that he's permanently buried on the depth chart? Well, I never write a guy off until his eligibility is done, but he's got an uphill struggle based on the talent that we have at wide yeah. receiver here. I mean, in my view, two of our best wide receivers on this team are a sophomore and a redshirt freshman in Dimitri Stanley and Daniel Arias. And I don't, I don't see any lessening of the people coming in through the, nope. through the pipeline because the recruiting of the wide receivers is still staying great. So, yeah. Is he recruited over? I don't know. It depends on how much he develops. I mean, he, it looks. It sure looks like it. Looks like it. I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. Who knows? Maybe he'll blow up this year and 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 be the big surprise. You never know. But yeah, kind of looks like he's been recruited over. And he doesn't have a frame that looks like it's ever going to put on much weight, which right. is tough. Uh, you look at a guy like Maurice Bell, who's who's a lanky guy too. 
he would have started for a lot of these. I, this is my 17th season covering CU. He would have started on a lot of these teams that I've covered, and he might not even get on the field this year. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Arias would have been the star on most of the teams in the last 10 years for CU. So, And then, you know, like you said, Dimitri Stanley's kind of a, a an unknown to a lot of people. He ain't going to be one for long. Yeah. Oli Buff asked, how is Taylor's new position different from the one he played last year? Obviously, switching from a buff backer to a star. We know that he's going to be in coverage more this year, so that's a big difference right. for him. Yeah, it, it seems to me. My first thought when I read this question is, well, we can't really know until we watch the games. I mean, they weren't showing us anything in spring to let us really evaluate how they're going to use that star position. But a guy like Davian Taylor is so unique in terms of his size and his abilities that you can do a lot of different things with him. Um, so I, I I think that the buff backer was used a lot more up near the line of scrimmage for the last couple of years, and I think he's going to be in a lot more in coverage now and then brought from various different places on pass rush maybe. I saw someone bring this up on the board. The buff backer just seemed like a bad idea. You want to have versatility, a hybrid guy there. But Ryan Moeller, for example, you're really setting that young man up to fail when you're at putting him in that position. Uh, he doesn't have the size and strength to compete with those tackles uh, up in the box. Right. Well, the buff backer was Jim Levitt's um, answer to uh, Derek McCartney getting hurt. And at the time, it was brilliant, and it really worked in 2016. And then the next two years after that, they tried to make it work tried to continue to make it work um uh and it and it just wasn't a good fit we didn't have anybody that really had the skill to do that and, and then also this year we have more regular outside linebackers that we can play on both sides of the, both ends of the line of scrimmage and so the buff backer to me was a thing uh that we did not use well we did not utilize well within our scheme um certainly most teams nowadays are using a hybrid kind of a guy uh, defensive back, outside linebacker type guy in a lot of different roles. But most of them aren't asking him to stand up there and take on offensive tackles and pulling guards at the point of attack. So we're, we're expecting the star to look more like a, you know, the old rover? Right. Yeah. Is that the, the, that's the I, assumption that I've kind of made. I asked Mel Tucker about it, and he, I mean, it's smart. He wasn't going to go into detail right. about what that position is going to be well, for them. you got a guy like Davion Taylor. You use him in a lot of different ways. You're not going to tell anybody how you're going to do it because that guy's a unique talent. And uh, I don't – I mean, I, I just go back to the thing. I don't see how we can answer this question right now. I think they're going to use him – this – this is a strong defensive coaching staff, I think, and so I think they're going to find different ways to use him every week using his abilities against the strengths of the particular offense that we're facing. GoBuffs80 asked a couple questions we've kind of touched on already. He said, I would love to hear what your picks for the following positions would be. Number one, running back. Number two, left guard or right guard. Number three, the two safety spots. Thanks, and I cannot wait to start camp. So we both are in agreement that Jared Mangum is going to find a way. I, I, I say that with low confidence, at least to start the season. By the end of the season, I'd be surprised if Mangum isn't the guy getting more carries than, than the rest of the backs. I would, I, would, I would explain it a little bit by referring to his coach, Darian Hagan, who plays guys if they pass protect. Now, if you were just going to go from an I formation and put a guy back there who is going to be an explosive running back and do crazy things in the run game, Jaron Mangum's the guy. 
to me, period. Um, Fontenot does have a lot of explosiveness. Yeah. But he's been around a couple years, and I don't think he showed me what I saw from Jaron Mangum in the spring game. So, you know, it, it, that that's where I look at from there. But to play for uh, Darian Hagan, you got to be able to pass protect and do everything else in the pass game. So um, I think on sheer talent, I think that uh, Jaron Mangum is, is one of those rare guys that comes along and is really going to surprise people. Guard, you expect Casey Roddick to be that? When I did my odds, he was a slight favorite there. Um, and at safety, we talked to already Onu in, in Reichstraw. But right. honestly, if Onu didn't start, I would be surprised. Right. But that other spot, I don't really think there's anybody. Even Mark Perry, uh, Aaron Maddox, right? I- any of those guys, it wouldn't surprise me if they were. Even uh, Trey Udofia has got good well, ball skills, and he just moved there this spring. And that's what I wrote down is that I, I figure Onu and Reichstraw with Perry and Maddox fighting for the, for the spot as well, and then Udofia coming along as he gets more adjusted to the position. In terms of that interior of the offensive line, look, everybody, Lineot and, and Purcell are going to be starters. And whether they're guard, center, center, guard, who's at where. Linot's, it's pretty established yeah. at this point that Linot's going to be the center with Purcell moving to guard. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much what we're expecting. But, you know, I mean, things change in camp or who, who knows. But yeah. what we're looking at is who's going to be that other guard. And, and I would be surprised coming out of spring, frankly, if it's not Roddick. Unless, some, unless somebody makes a huge jump. Um, I can't. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of our big uh, JUCO kid that came in um, at guard. Oh, Vato Fusaveo. Right. right, and so you know, a lot of times those guys need a few need a little bit longer to catch up with the game, and so haven't had spring ball in summer. Maybe he comes along a lot, but I think Casey Roddick fits everything they're looking for. The dude abides. Great. Username there. Right. He asked, which position battles are you most excited to see unfold during camp? We kind of touched on that already. Do you think Darian Jones has a chance to carve out a significant role on offense this year? Well, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, so I think, I think again, to me, uh, defensive line is really what I want to watch and see who develops into a player because if we don't find – a few more guys to who can play at this level, we're going to be in trouble. So that's the big one to me. The offensive line always is a big thing. I, I want to see uh, where we wind up, who winds up playing which tackle and, and which guys really come along there. Um, and then all the other things that we've talked about, running back, safety, uh, who's going to break out as the other receivers after the, first, the top two guys, um, who's going to win that linebacker spot and will they have a good chemistry with Landman? Um, so those are the kinds of things that I'm looking at. And then, of course, that other the, the, the cornerback spot would be a big one. Hog11 asked, just, oh, well, we, we didn't touch on Darian Jones enough there. The former, the way the tight end was used before, I mean, I don't think he's really going to have much of an impact. But now you're going to see two tight ends on the field quite a bit. Love Brady Russell, right. Jalen Harris's potential. But I do think there is a role for Darion Jones. You look at him, he's physically pretty impressive looking. Well, and I think this coaching staff has the ability to figure out ways. I mean, look, the guy doesn't have to know the whole playbook like the quarterback knows it in order to be effective in the offense. You give him a few plays, you run him down the seams because clearly he's got mismatched size and speed if he gets uh, matched up with a linebacker or something like that. So I think this staff will find ways to use him. Um, 
will it be a significant role? I guess it depend, depends on how you define significant. But I think if, if he's a guy that gets one or two catches a game or every other game and uh, softens up the defense as a surprise, or, you know, given his size and speed, he could make a, a few big plays during the year um, when nobody's looking for it because nobody's going to be covering him as a threat. So, yeah, I, I think he really has a chance to make a, a role on this team. They had some injuries last year, so they didn't really have a, a choice, but. It would have been really nice to see him redshirt last right. year, especially given the little impact that he did have right, last season. Right. Hog11 asked, just one open practice? <laughs> well. Yep, uh, this Saturday, August 3rd, in Folsom Field from 8.30 to 11.15 a.m. There's going to be a fan autograph and self- selfie session afterwards. Uh, William, who do you want to get a selfie with? Uh, oh, boy. Well, you, you, amb- you ambushed me with that question. Um, well, Montez is awful pretty. Maybe, maybe I pick okay. him. Or uh, I, I I like to get so here here's I hope this doesn't sound weird I like to get selfies with the offensive linemen to judge their actual height because <laughs> you know you can't trust these rosters and so I know how tall I am so if I'm standing next to a guy then I know how tall he is if I get a selfie with him well it can't be a selfie you got to ask somebody to take a photo otherwise right, it's not right. going to be the right angle for your hey whatever your analysis hey, we're not doing scientific measurements <laughs> here Hog Eleven also asked. What will you look for on the offensive line to determine starters? How big of a rotation on the offense and defensive lines? Well, I think this I think this coaching staff is going to look for guys who are physical and can move people off the ball um, on the offensive line. And I think they're so. We heard it. I think I've heard it from Coach Cap several times. He's looking for consistency. So guys who bring it on every play or as close to every play as possible. So. With, a, with, a, with an offensive line, you cannot afford to have guys have a lot of lapses. So all five guys have to play well together, and if one guy makes a mistake, the whole group looks bad. So they're going to be looking for physical. They're going to be looking for guys who have pop and explosion in their hips and can get and move guys off the line because they're talking about they want to run the ball on their terms when they want to. Okay, well, you better find some guys who can move people. So... I think they're looking for size. I think they're looking for physicality. Um, and then uh, there's an attitude that's kind of uh, intangible. Because I think you got to have nasty guys out there who, who really want to put people on their back. So I think that's what they're looking for on there. As far as uh, um, rotation, on the offensive line, I'm not a big fan of rotation. I like five guys. That's what I like is five guys. Now, in 2016, we really got saved early and late by having three guys who could fill in. Um, so uh, Sully Weefels filled in for Alex Kelly early, and then I think uh, Huckins filled in a little bit late, and and then Shane Callahan was available at Arizona. And you had right. Aaron Hagler and Cronsage rotating on the right side of right. tackle. So you really, I'd rather find five guys that you believe in and are a good fit together, and I think we got that. But you know, if, if a guy like uh, uh, if a guy like um, Philip is good enough, yeah, you want to get him some playing time in there. And on the defensive line, ideally, I'd like to have two two groups that rotate. I'd like to have six guys, seven guys would be even great, greater. But uh, yeah, I'd like to be able to get everybody in and out of there. The only guy. I would not like to see come out the field as Mustafa Johnson. But even if you play him 80% of plays, right. you're probably going to get a better production within those 80% right. of the plays right. than if he was playing all the time and got as, a little fatigued. As, as long as it's not too much of a drop-off to the next guy. Yeah. 
Puerto Rico Buff asked, who, if any true freshman, will have an impact this season? Mark Perry and Austin Williams are getting some hype. Any others? Follow up to red shirts that may have an impact. So Jaron Mangum, we've right, talked about already. you got to mention him. Uh, and then KJ Trujillo and or DJ Oates needs right. to come in ready to contribute because they need some depth at cornerback. And then another guy I mentioned was Lloyd Murray Jr., just strictly based on my expectations right. for these guys when they signed. Right. The big the, Yeah, his, his talent level is way up there on the defensive line, so he's another one. I would say take any of those really big defensive tackles, and um, those are all guys I'm going to be watching to see if they can come in and give us a, a few snaps a game and, and really make a difference. Uh, Levante Chenault is a really high-level talent where he winds up playing if it, you know if we need help in the secondary maybe he's a guy that moves over there can do something for us i don't know but uh he's a guy with a lot of talent well tyler brought this up on our other podcast dimitri stanley is a guy if you had issues a cornerback could potentially make a move and you could put a you know and then there's not a huge drop off jalen jackson you can put there in the slot or even put katie right. nixon right. In, in the slot but i think you know dimitri stanley is a guy and so that's another guy who's who are red shirts that will have an impact well you know, Demetrius Stanley is the first guy that comes to mind, and I think he's a he's, he's a game changer on the offense. Um, he may take time to reach that level on defense, but on offense, from day one, he's a guy to go all the way for you on, yeah. any, on any given play. No, he's definitely moved, yeah. even if he had to fill in on right. defense. He's been working his way back right. to offense at some point. Right. And, um, you know, Jalen Sammy's a guy. Obviously, yeah. he's he's the first guy we're looking at at the nose tackle position. So he's one. Um, uh, is, is JV Jonathan Van Dees is he sophomore now or is he redshirt? He's a sophomore. He's a sophomore. Okay. Yeah, Casey Roddick, uh, Dion Dion sure. Smith at running back right. is a guy that's probably going to be in the rotation. Another name I threw out there on on here is Cannon Ray. Could yeah. he be a mix? He looks like a guy that might Definitely. need another year because he had all those injuries. Right. But he's also really good, and well, I think people forgot about him and just how right. he was a high school All American. Went to UCLA. If not for those injuries, I mean, this is a guy that that would be in the discussion as a starting candidate for this team. Well, and the injuries he had really slow you down in the weight room. So he had a knee injury, which slows you down in the lower body, and then he had a shoulder injury, which really slows you down in the upper body. And strength yeah. is such a big deal. Um, is he a guy that could come on this this year? And I, I I absolutely think he's in the mix when we when we go into camp, um, and he could play tackle or guard for you as well. So I think he's a guy that we could very much look at. And at the very least, be a guy who, you know, if somebody's out for a game, can fill in and do an adequate job. So he's another one for sure. Bama Buff asked, will DJ Oates be considered for punt and kick return duties? Well, you have to, right? I mean, with that kind of speed. With that speed, you think they'd give him a tryout back there? I do know that he didn't do either of those in high school. So sometimes, uh, you know, if a guy was amazing in that role it's a no-brainer but he doesn't have the experience there so right. that's something that dimitri stanley i mean growing up in the the stanley household right. he knows all about returning it's just something he's always done well his dad still i i don't know if he still does but at least at one time had the single game all-purpose yards record with, with uh, against texas tech i think with kickoff returns and punt returns or what have you movie buff asked are you surprised at all the preseason hype nebraska is getting I saw somewhere they were named everyone's preseason darling. I can't say I'm surprised. I yeah yeah. I don't think I'm surprised by it. I think it's a bunch of, of, of well, I'm not sure which words I'm allowed to use here. I don't agree with it. Let's put it that way. 
I think people say, oh, well, they won four games at the end of the season. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't beat anybody any good. Okay, so they played some bad teams and they won some games. They had a good showing against Ohio State, but I still don't believe yet. Maybe they proved me wrong, but I'm not buying the hype that they're a top-20 team, not for a long shot. I mean, they weren't a very good team last year, and they aren't suddenly magically going to be a, a really good team this year. Movie Buff also asked, out of the difficult schedule, which do you think will be the toughest game of the season? I, it's close, but I'd probably pick at Oregon on Friday night in Eugene because when you look at the Washington game in Boulder, the Buffs do have a bye week before that. You could even make a case it could be at Utah in the season finale given uh, the, the talent they have on their D-line. They bring right. back Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss. And then at Arizona State on September 21st, given how hot it's going to be down in Tempe, that's not going to be a walk in the park either. Well, I think that's the def- there was, I think you had a question. That's the defining game for CU to me is at Arizona State. Can we win on the road? And, and that's going to be the difference between a winning season or not, I think. But, uh, yeah, the toughest games are going to be on the road with Oregon and Washington, Oregon and, and Utah. Utah, I think a lot of people are picking to be the, the league conference champion. And they're always a big, strong, tough team. And, um yeah, I think that's probably. I think Utah's probably the one. To me, it, it tells you how USC's down right now because we didn't even mention right. them in there. Right. Well, I think you know they're a defining game for us as well. I think I think we have to beat USC to get the six or seven wins as well. NYTJ Buff fan asked, trying to think of best case and worst case for the year as I plan for my trek out to Boulder for the Stanford game this year. Where do you realistically predict the Buffs will be going into the Stanford game? So Stanford game is week 10 on November 9th, so they will have played nine games before that. He's asking best case, worst case. I'm saying six and three best case, three and six worst case. Um, and some people yeah. that are. I mean, that's even maybe a homer thing. There's some people I heard one of the guys on the podcast, the champion, thinks he was going 2-10 this year. Right. But, of course, he's just basing that on... They don't have any information. Yeah. That, that, that's, just, that's just crazy to me, to, to say that a team that won five games the last two years with that coaching staff and now has more talent, and we hope it's the better coaching staff, is not going to go two wins. So... I would like to think that the worst-case scenario at that point in the, in the season is four wins, but I think you're probably, you're probably pretty close. I'm going to say they're they're probably five and four maybe at that point. Yeah, and you know, I think there are going to be some surprise outcomes in there as well. That, that it's not going to be the five and four that people think it is. Cyberbuff asked, if the football fairy showed up at the <laughs> foot of your bed tomorrow morning and said, Adam, you've done such a great job with Buff Stampede, then I'm going to let you pick three games where, with my magic fairy dust, I will guarantee a Buffs win this fall. Which three games would you choose? This was easy for me. Number one has to be Nebraska. Right. Being able to knock them off back-to-back years, right. and there's a little bit of a break before they play again. Right. That has to be one of the three. That's not even debatable. I don't even really need to go f- and explain that any right. further. Right. The other two guaranteed wins, I'm going to say at Oregon and against USC, both are Friday night games on national television, so you're going to get a lot of exposure for the program with those wins. Never liked the flash of the Oregon Ducks. I don't understand right. why it's so cool to recruits. I just don't get it. 
And the Buffs have never beaten USC. Right. So you could do something you've never done before. So that's that's where I come in. I, it has to be Nebraska because I got you know I'm an old old school Buff and I have a long term hate. So that has to be number one. Number two is Southern is Southern Cal because we never beat them, and so that has to happen. And then to me, either Washington or Oregon, because we're not supposed to win either one of those, and so that's a bonus. Like if you get one of those wins, as a bonus. I'm tempted to say Utah as well. I, I just res- I respect Kyle Whittingham and Chris right, Peterson, right. so that's why I right. pick Oregon because uh, okay. I don't have a whole lot of respect for them. I like that. That's a good approach. That that works for me. We'll go with Oregon for sure. Right. I, and and I took it for granted that he did. We, nobody was going to include like CSU and Air Force because we're going to win those anyway. There you go. Yeah. Next year, well, next year is the last year between CU and CSU before they take that break. You have, might you might think about CSU a year from now, just because. Can you imagine the Rams fans? They'd have that bragging rights for that extended oh, period God. of time. Yeah. Well, if it, okay, if that happens, we have to just give up the sport and hang it up, and, <laughs> and we'll 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 become um, we'll join the Ivy League for football. Shine DeBuff asked, after seeing a little bit of spring camp and talking to players, which assistant coach will have the biggest impact on their position group's development during fall camp and why? What are the biggest differences between this staff and the last staff as far as player development, thinking more coaching skill sets than weight room stats? Well, the guy that jumps out to me is Michael Alski. Uh, so far, both in terms of uh, his recruiting and um, we've heard a lot of his players talk about the impact he's already had on them with his mentality and what he's talking to them about what they're going to accomplish and watching film, whatever. So he's the, he's the one that comes to my mind. Um, how about you? I'd say Coach Cap. Just oh, well, really, his right. personality just demands right. more out of those guys. Clayton Adams, great guy. It's really a shame that it didn't right. work out for him. Right. And it's not that he's a bad coach, but it just didn't work at CU. Well, you know, one of the things, just in a nutshell, and this probably won't make sense to people that are not offensive line people, but to see them out pushing sleds again is huge. That's what you have to do as an offensive lineman. You push sleds, and that's how you get develop the ability to run block. And so they're doing that again. So Coach Cap just has the background and the ability to teach the technique and what have you. And so, yeah, I guess that's a no-brainer. I guess I, I just didn't even think of that. That just totally slipped my mind. So obviously that's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> too buff, too strong asked. Oh, there was, he also had a – there was a second part to that, wasn't there? Oh, what are the biggest differences between this staff and the last staff as far as player development? Well, you got to give it more time on right, player development. Right. I mean – I would say the, the single biggest thing that I would say at this point is there's a sense of professionalism that it's hard for me to put a finger on. And look, you know, quite clearly there were some guys on the last staff who were not required to do their job. Okay, we don't have to name names, but some guys didn't have to recruit and some guys didn't have to have uh, development at their position. And I really get the feeling that everybody on this staff, if you're not getting your job done, Mel Tucker's going to be in your office asking why. And that transitions us into this next question from Too Buff, Too Strong. He asked, we've heard reporting from the player's perspective, but what are the three biggest differences, good or bad, you've observed between this staff and the last staff? You mentioned the professionalism. The word I wrote down was more business-like approach. A difference here is they would log long hours with Mike McIntyre, and there was this sense that you had to be at your desk a ton be seen in the office working long hours. I'm told with Mel Tucker, he says, get your work done, 
And if you don't get your job done, I'm going to replace you. Right. But don't sit at your desk just to sit at your desk. Right. Uh, go home, have dinner with your family if you've gotten what you need to get done. But there's, he's demanding of them, but not in a way that requires you to sit at your desk for 16 hours a day. Right, and that's, that's real leadership, and that's what I really respect. Going all the way back to the military, for me, those kinds of people are the people you want to work for and you want to produce more for. Um, the other thing that I would say that, that stands out to me is, is accountability. Um, and there's also, there's also more of a, a, like a big boy attitude. So, for example, this staff went out and in their first year found graduate transfers at three positions of huge need and we haven't seen that. I mean, they are always out there looking for guys, and they're finding guys, and they're bringing them in. And they are not afraid also to go out and, and make offers, and not just offers in name only, but actually go after top high-level guys who are being recruited by other teams. So that's a big difference to me as well, too. Yeah, they're setting an expectation, and you better have the same expectations as them, right. or you're not going to cut right. it in Mel Tucker's right. program. And, you know, and... Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't go here, but, you know, I take a, I look at, I, I don't know, you know, some, some of the guys that decided to hang it up in this offseason, all right, injuries is probably one reason for that. But I think they probably were told, you're probably not going to play on this team. And so when you talk, think about how much you got to work to be part of a program like this, if somebody's honest with you and says you're probably not going to play, then that probably has some impact on some of those guys. And I think there's a much more big boy attitude towards that as well. NY TJ Buff fan also asked, if you had to pick one player to make first team all Pac-12 other than LaVisca, who would it be and why? To me, if Montez makes the leap and plays well enough for this team to be more than competitive, this could be a special year. But I don't know if that is realistic or not. Well, if if Steven Montez is first team all Pac-12, we're going to win a lot of games. I mean, I think that that goes without saying. so, yeah, I can't argue with that. I, I guess the other guy that comes to my mind is if Mustafa Johnson has a first-team all-Pac-12 year, that goes a long way towards making a good defense if you have a guy like that on your defensive line. Yeah, I would say Mustafa Johnson because he actually is a preseason right. first-team all-Pac-12 right. pick. Right. Right. <laughs> Obviously, Nate Landman would be in, in the right. mix there. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a first-team, but I wouldn't be shocked if either Hambright or Will Sherman – I mean, Will Sherman was honorable mention preseason right. all-conference. I voted him as right. my last guy on there. Just what we saw from him as an undersized guy, and now he's he's a man out there. I, You know, n- not necessarily first team, but I think Lynott and Purcell are both guys who could, by the end of the season, get mentioned, whether it's honorable mention or second team or something like that. So those guys are, are certainly guys that I look at who could get that kind of notice. There are a lot of guys on this team. And again, that goes back to our discussion about the top 40 on this team. A lot of potential. Who will live up to that potential? And that's going to define what kind of a team we have this year. And Delrick Abrams Jr. is another guy. Right. Good one. If he stays healthy, he's a top-level Pac-12 guy. uh, uh, My favorite guy, Carson Wells. Carson Wells, I thought somebody had a question there, who's going to have more sacks? Was it Carson Wells or, or Mustafa Johnson? Well, it's a lot easier to get sacks from the outside, and Carson Wells has got just double uh, athleticism and size, so I see him as another guy who just could explode this year as well. Better Off Liquid asked, I'd like to hear thoughts on Buff's regular season wins over 3.5 at minus 170. Juice has increased from minus 150. So a lot of money coming in on the yeah. buffs to go over that three and a half, which makes sense. I right. can't imagine uh, 
again, it goes back to just the perception of this team, but maybe we're biased in the other direction, but they're going to win at least four games. Right. I mean, they're, they're, you know, Arizona's no great shakes. Arizona State's no great shakes. Uh, I think we we start out with two wins with Arizona with the Air Force and CSU, and then you know there's not a lot of teams there's not a lot of teams on this schedule to look at it and go, well they're not Alabama, right? I mean there's not a lot of teams on this schedule that you look at and go well, we we could we could we could beat them on a good day. So t- to think that we're going to win four games or less that that just doesn't make sense to me. I'm not a gambler anymore. I used to do sports betting in my younger days, but I didn't like anything yeah. with a minus 170. I, I, I need a little yeah, bit more right. payback there. But well, I don't even know what it means. We go to the horse tracks once a year, and that's that's my. It bet. means you're not getting a good payout if if, you, yeah. if the buffs go over that that minus 170. Yeah. Wind and Buff asked, "I'm curious how you guys feel about the Pac-12 potentially playing 9 a.m. games." So, I've seen the reaction to this, yeah. and it's kind of funny. It's kind of uh, it depends on how old you are is kind of how you view this. I turned 40 this year. I, I, earlier the better. Right. I mean, I don't want to go any earlier. That would be actually 10 a.m. Mountain right. now. Get home and have still have a half a day Yeah, when it's all said and done. we um, got three kids in the house most right. of the time, so I, I'm not sleeping in. Right. <laughs> and and there's, there's good arguments in terms of uh, East Coast exposure and, and things like that and people watching. Will, will it hurt attendance? I don't know. You know, if you if it, it, college football to me, if you're winning games, people are going to show up. As John it, Wilner it, pointed out, places. attendance is already dipping, right? Because people are in love with their flat screens and they right. don't want to deal with the hassle. Of, well, you know, and they want to be able to go to the bathroom and get a and walk and get a beer out of the fridge and the whole nine yards. I mean, it's a there, there's a little bit of a pain in the butt aspect of actually going to a game, driving, parking the whole nine yards, and. The experience of um, modern technology with media is so good that a lot of people are just not coming anyway. There's so many times I turn on the early games in college football and I'm bored by what I'm seeing. I think throwing another game in there would be good. But I also see the benefit not to have a ton of crazy late games, but if you are the last game on, there are people that are going to watch it for that too. So... I like I like this 10 a.m. deal if they're going to do it in moderation. Right. Yeah. Have every team in the conference do that once once, once a year, a year. Right. and still have that later time slot. Right now they have two games that kick off relatively late, so just have one and then have an earlier game. I think is kind of a a way to kind of meet in the middle here. Right. No, I, I think it's a it's an innovative idea to some issues that we have as a conference, and so I'm not totally opposed to it. Any way you look at it, but like you said, maybe one time a year for each team. Not going to impact the uh, attendance all that much if it happens one time at your stadium, uh, but it does give us exposure on the East Coast that we're not getting right now. And who doesn't love Bloody Marys and breakfast burritos, right? <laughs> right. As somebody said on the board, it's like, hey, it just means I got to start drinking earlier. <laughs> there you go. All right, William. Well, this was fun. Enjoyed uh, catching up with you and so excited that you know i've done so much talking it's been such a long off season I, i'm just i'm not seeing another word until i've covered some practices yeah. here well there there are more question marks with this team but i think more question marks with more positive potentially positive answers than we've seen in a long time so it's a very exciting uh, august coming up here awesome well we're off to shoot a couple buff stampede film rooms definitely check those out on the site thanks for tuning in